Inspiring Wellbeing, a limited podcast series with Maximilian. Hi everyone and welcome. Today I have the pleasure to be sitting down virtually with Emily, a holistic organizer who helps individuals and families to live with less and feel better. Welcome, Emily. Hi, thank you. <laughs> now, my first question for you is, how did you, how did you come about becoming a holistic organizer? Well, um, there are kind of two parts to this, actually. And, and one is how I shifted my relationship with my stuff. And the other is more of this action that I did when I was a child that was very bizarre um, but really excited me and so first as a child I didn't share this with you before but when I was about nine or ten and I had these younger sisters and their room was shared they had bunk beds they were four and five years younger and they always it was always chaotic always a mess and I really liked tidy spaces for that like calm energy. I could, I think I have a more sensitive uh, energy intake. And so I found more comfort in tidy spaces. And I kind of pushed that on my sisters. But what I would do is I would tr train them in how to clean up. Like I wouldn't do it for them. And what I would do, <laughs> I remember I would, I would, get them I would think how can I make this easy like they're so little and they don't have this like concept in their head of of how to attack this big project and so I was I was thinking how can I simplify and so this is something that I actually do in my work today but I would gather everything off around the whole floor on the beds on the surfaces and I would make a big pile and what I was doing is I was removing everything from all these areas and I was focusing it in one zone so that we could just sit and look at this one pile and it became less of this messy room. It was like this one pile mm -hmm. I mean, it separated the room from the mess. And then what I would do with them is I would have them remove the easy stuff first. And that was always clothing. Clothing is just so simple. It's, typically dirty if it's laying around and if not then we would put it away so I had them pull all the laundry out and just do a quick like this is dirty this is not and then we would pull out the next category of things that were easy enough to put back and then what we would be left with at the end was always this kind of mishmash of broken things and garbage and dust and dirt and then it became so easy to just sweep that up and to this day, my sister still does this, and she'll still tell me the days that she um, practices this uh, strategy, this system. And so that was just something in my childhood. And it wasn't until I decided to leave Canada and go and live in China to be a teacher when I was forced to really reevaluate my stuff. And it was in China where I lived out of a suitcase. And when you live out of a suitcase on a holiday, it's one thing. Um, but for me, it was years. And I moved into an apartment. And so you really start to notice, like, or you start to think, what do I want to have around me? What's really important? What's really special? What's useful? And then it's like everything else is just tucked in these storage units which is so normalized in our culture, which really bothers me. <laughs> yes. That it's like, like if you don't have enough storage in your current space, like just keep expanding. Storage <laughs> yeah. units are making so much money. But I left all this stuff behind in boxes and all these things, and I completely forgot about like 95% of it. And when I came home and opened up those doors, it was like, what was this serving? What was this here for? And what do I want to do differently? Because I knew I had this opportunity. And so it was in that moment that I set an intention to let go of 60%. I remember that number because it felt a big number, but not too scary. Mm -hmm. And it did take me 
probably three big purges because the initial purge is is usually a bit easier it's the stuff that is you're very not very attached to um but i do remember it got harder and harder um as i started to kind of dive deeper into my relationship with my stuff which is a beautiful place to go and so then i kind of took this experience as a child and had this feeling in china of this like everything is easy and i had all this free time i didn't have a social life as much cuz the people in my city didn't speak english but still i had all this time and i read i just read books and i started to read about like a lessons more philosophy and i read about essentialism which is a book by greg mcheon who now speaks and works with large corporations and groups of people around saying no to that trivial many and saying yes to what really lights you up and what you're really here for and so it was through the time and the reading that really sparked this it's funny i feel like i never even made the choice it just like i i i had to do it mhm um it was like the calling i guess it's like yeah, literally absolutely. a calling knocking on my door and it was just this idea that life can be so beautiful and so graceful and it doesn't need to be in this fast lane this mm-hmm. like treading water in the deep end all the time yeah, i feel like absolutely. we woke up here and it's it's like taking that pause like that permission to pause which a lot of us experienced over the last few months but it's almost like a pause around like really checking in as to mm-hmm. our stuff and our relationship with our stuff yeah beautiful so that's kind of yeah it's kind of how it grew <laughs> yeah i i can i can really relate to it and i remember when i was a kid i my sister <laughs> my sister has always been um borderline hoarder especially clothing she loves her fashionable items and i think as a kid i really noticed that she was already then accumulating a lot of um things particularly clothing items and i don't know what it was within me but i loved my room to be one very tidy and everything to be very simple very simplistic i just i i was always drawn towards it and i i really liked it and i noticed um when i would have friends over they would often point out to me that i've barely anything in my room <laughs> but uh, for me that was just normal for me that just felt good and then um you know after after high school and um being in the military back home in germany i i set out and i i moved to australia and spent 5 years living in australia and then um uh, moved on from there to live in different countries usually for like 6 to 12 months in in a country before i would move on and i did that throughout my almost my entire 20s and it really for one it it almost forced me to be okay living out of a suitcase or at least living with things that would all fit into one suitcase and maybe one backpack and when i when i they then came to canada a few years ago and settled here i had been living this one suitcase lifestyle for so long that it just felt so normal to me and so good because i knew that you know i can be okay with having things that all fit into one suitcase that even to this day now years later i'm i'm perfectly okay to have just enough things that fit into one suitcase and maybe a backpack and i think the major driver in all of that was always the freedom always the peace that i felt through that through doing that through through living that way i'm so glad you said freedom mhm i think of that word a lot yeah i think it really is the root of a lot of our driving actions and the kind of this like foundational value that like to acquire money for example provides us with freedom mm-hmm. that's like freedom to travel and to live a life that yeah has that peace to it 
Yeah, so neat. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. I also like how you shared the the idea of a suitcase because that's such a good visual. Yeah. But it also really exemplifies this boundary, this like physical limit that you set and you you have forced to adhere to. Mm-hmm. And it really forces you to observe your things really differently and choose very carefully and allow things to flow Yeah. so that you can shift and change and, and, and just grow and be okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also, it also puts you into a position where you assess the things that you own or the things that you want to acquire, not simply based on, Oh, this is, this is aesthetically pleasing, you know, it looks beautiful and it's shiny, I want it or I want to keep it. But you put a lot more focus on function over design. So, you know, if something is just aesthetically pleasing, you are less likely to keep it than something that is aesthetically pleasing and functional. That's something that I learned, yeah. Yeah, functional and beautiful. Yes, exactly. So It's so possible. Yeah. But it does take some thinking outside the box. And that's part of my work that I I haven't quite been able to explain so clearly yet. I feel it's just this idea of, it's almost like a side project of coming up with and styling items in a way that makes them beautiful while also keeping them useful Mm -hmm. or vice versa. In other words, turning useful things into art pieces. Yeah. It's like a funny thing I'm kind of uh, into. For example, I have uh, bowls in my kitchen that are the larger type for um, cooking or baking or mixing things in. And I've chosen two that one is pottery that a friend of mine has made. And one is this like metal vintage piece. And they sit on top of my fridge as like decor and they look visually really appealing and they're very, um, they're very beautiful, but I also use them every day for cooking, you know? So it's like taking that time to really choose things carefully. Like, yeah. like you said mm-hmm. that you can use and love. Absolutely. You know, growing up in Germany, one thing I, I, I realized after I had moved away and, and started traveling around the world, it made me appreciate the, um, the design functionality focus that, that Germans have. It's, it's almost like it's ingrained in our culture that if you go, for instance, into, into someone's kitchen in Germany, a, a, a typical German kitchen looks very minimalistic to begin with. And the items that, for instance, you will see on the kitchen counter and then when you open up the cupboards, they are very simplistic in their design, but, but at the same time, it makes them very aesthetically pleasing. They're very easy on the eye. And every single item has at least one functionality. So there is no item in a German kitchen. Um, of course, this is a bit of a generalization right now, but generally there aren't any items in a German kitchen that don't have at least one function aside from looking nice or just fitting in and you know what you said i think it's it's very important and it's so beautiful when you start looking at the things in your home and you go okay what are the things that are just beautiful to look at what are the things that are just shiny and that's about it and what are the things that are beautiful and functional or what are the things that are just functional that i can now also turn into something more aesthetically pleasing Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to embrace the love for art and decor, mm-hmm. um, but it's like a fun challenge to double up. It's a really fun challenge to turn things into decor or vice versa. Yeah, um, things like books and yeah, like especially kitchen things, vases, things that um, yeah that just serve both purposes. And I also can relate to uh, Japanese style yeah I find they are pretty um, thoughtful yes and just very thorough 
in the experience of the item or of the place. It's very, they very much empathize with the, the client or the customer I noticed in Japan. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of awareness that goes into the pieces in, in Japan. I find I, I was in Tokyo a few years ago and you know, I, I love Japanese culture pretty much everything about it and their attention to detail as you were saying is it's pretty incredible and it, it shows not just their craftsmanship and so many um, different materials and items but also the the purpose you know oftentimes one item might have several different purposes because it often seems in Japanese culture, it's all about simplifying without having to compromise too much. So oftentimes one item can be used for different things. And um, one thing that comes to my mind right now is I love matcha tea. I love the whole process of preparing the matcha tea with the bamboo whisk. And, you know, it's, it's really a ceremonial process. And the matcha tea, it's served in a bowl. And you can use that, of course, for drinking tea, but you can also use it um, t- to eat a soup or, or granola with milk. Um, so, and I, and I think we can apply that to items that we might already own that are not Japanese, where we can think, look at the item, for instance, and go, okay, what other functions can I think of that I could accomplish with that item? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's practicing ingenuity and just being more creative with what you have instead of automatically in this program of acquiring more mm-hmm. and reaching for more. Because I think that's a bit ingrained in our system, in our programming now, is uh, to create that desire to just automatically go for more instead of thinking, how can I, how can I do this differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like how you said easy on the eye. I think it's definitely, we're all different as humans and there's a spectrum of all kinds of things. But I think this is one that speaks to me too, is this stimulus, like this visual stimulus. And you can really tell with certain clients, like how, where they are on that. And some have said things like how they need to have that reset or that tidy space to wake up to or to be in the kitchen or at the office table and it's it's not uncommon we all we all can be so overstimulated mm-hmm. in this world and our homes are places that are meant to be a place of rejuvenation mm-hmm. and creativity yeah and connection and sometimes that gets lost in the contents in the volume and we can spend our days completing actions that are only to serve our, our things. Yeah. And it's really wild to, to move something, to repair it, to clean it, to all the things. And it's interesting that kind of going on a tangent, but it feels good that our homes have this physical limit. Like we have a square footage <laughs> and, and within that we have a physical limit of storage. We have a certain number of closets or cupboards and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a physical limit in our minds in regards to our bandwidth. Sometimes we stretch it um, willingly, unwillingly, be without boundaries, I find. Um, even if we're like not feeling good anymore, we still go there, but we intuitively know where that limit is in our minds. Cause after that, that's when we stop feeling good. Yeah. And so when we have these physical boundaries, these limitations, these like endpoints in here and in our environment, I believe that it's when we exist in this like limitless attitude around just how much can come in and this 
just allowance of stretching beyond and overfilling and thinking and not not questioning that and just letting it in and i think that that is a big misalignment in the mm-hmm. world yeah where we are literally overfilling our minds and our spaces and it doesn't feel good yeah and we do it so in a very mindless mindless fashion there's very little awareness at times absolutely very very mindless and i don't say this to be condescending or judgmental it's almost like a a a call just to invite people to sit with that yes and to to really look in and say what is my what is my bandwidth mhm mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and i i love the aspect of of sitting with it you know sitting with with the items that you really cherish and also the items that you may not cherish but you know taking the time and sitting with an item and just and feeling how how you feel about that particular item is it is it still something that's very dear to you do you keep it for a particular purpose or function or is it simply something that you're keeping and you don't even know why you're still keeping it you know we we're needing we're needing those those pauses where we can literally give ourselves a few moments and and re reevaluate the things that we have and whether we need all those things but oftentimes we make our lives so hectic you know we busy ourselves so much and we put so much stress on ourselves that we we think we don't have the time or the opportunity anymore to actually sit down and and see if we cherish those things that are surrounding us on a daily basis. Absolutely. It's very interesting what lengths we go to to avoid facing that experience of choosing and deciding what stays and what goes. I think that it's quite fascinating being in it and doing it so much that um people will avoid Yeah, they'll just let things accumulate as they do and they'll avoid um doing the work, the work that I do. But what's so fascinating is once you sit down intentionally and set aside these these hours. I usually work with clients around a 3-hour session, sometimes 2. And it's like we're present, we're being mindful, we're here. There's accountability. And what I do is I provide systems to create momentum and a flow state. And so the decision making, which is the hard part. People don't like making decisions. I simplify that in such a way that that we like fly through all this stuff and it's it's almost unbelievable like how productive and how much you can sort through in a concentrated time when you really are mindful. Mhm. And you get into those flow states. Like I've had clients like and me too always get so surprised. It's like there's no more left. Like we sorted through all those papers. It's it's bizarre. There's a big like I think a misunderstanding around mm-hmm. and then like this there's so much avoidance. Yeah. When really can make a huge difference in a short time. Yeah, absolutely. I can certainly see that and I can also see that it's easy for for people to misunderstand what what their mind, what their ego might attach to and what they think is actually something that might be coming from the heart. You know, there might be yeah. some things that are very dear to us and we we want to hold on to them, you know, from a from a place of love, from from a heart space but then many of the other items in our home we might only latch on to mentally you know the the ego might not want to let go of those things because it can construct certain stories around it why we should keep it when really there is no more purpose for it you know it is it has served its purpose and it is now no longer needed in our life Yeah, absolutely. And in behavioral psychology, can't remember the term, but it has been proven that we 
value things more only because we own them. So when something enters your home, even unwillingly, it kind of becomes you are the owner of it. And what happens is, is we unknowingly value it so much higher only because we own it. And so then that coupled with an aversion to loss makes it really hard, really hard to let go. And I think people are, are lacking a bit of self-compassion around this because you know, they, everyone avoids it. Um, and it's not just like they're bad people or making bad decisions. It's, it really is in our minds and in our, in our programming. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to separate that the person from their psychology. Yeah. Because when you connect, when you can acknowledge that, that studies have been done and proven that, for example, if we were to come across and find a $10 bill on the ground, we would be excited. But what they've been now able to prove is that if we were to lose $10, we would actually feel doubly or twice as upset than we were happy. And so that programming in our bodies to avoid loss is really real because especially with kids, because mm -hmm. they're really excited when they get that thing. Yeah. And so losing it, that's why with kids, if you were to hide their, their toys, parents do this all the time, um, or just like pack it away because they have so much, the kid would totally forget about it. They just, they're so quick to forget and move on. And, but then if, if that thing were to come out of storage and they, and to like be ready to donate, because sometimes parents will like sneakily donate. If the kid sees that thing in that box, they're going to be like, you can't get rid of that. It's my favorite thing. And then the mom's like, you haven't asked me for this for three months. But it's like seeing it, remembering that feeling of when they got it. Now they're like feeling that, that loss twice as strong. Yeah. So it's interesting. And in that I, I'm, I'm a big fan of psychology, especially behavioral psychology, because it's kind of like this, almost like a proof to explain our behavior and that it, it gives us permission to have more compassion around changing that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, some of your work, it obviously involves the kids when you're, when you're doing this kind of um, organizing with the whole family. And for me, I think that that's very beautiful that the kids would be involved in, in this process because those are the ones that pick up on the behavioral patterns of their parents. And if the parents have such a hard time letting go of things, then it's not very likely that the kids will be any different, right? Yeah, and, and knowing too that there is this almost built-in complacency, just like like unmindfulness where you just think there's just in the house and it's, there's not a lot of thought to it. And, and yeah, I think the big one with kids is the gift receiving. Um, it's, it's a really interesting place because they have celebrations and birthdays and all the friends and family, even if you ask for no gifts as a parent, they still want to give you things because gift giving makes them feel good. And that's a beautiful feeling to have another person who you love say thank you to you. And so what happens with kids is, is yeah, it just, it blows up on one day or two days of the year, but it becomes so much. And with kids, they don't need a lot to be happy. A lot of kids are really happy playing outside, having their feet in the grass and um, oftentimes kind of go back to those same toys. So yeah. gift giving and especially with kids, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. I, I have a lot of uh, sympathy and empathy for, for parents who are existing in this way because mm -hmm. they really need to set boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. But they don't, they don't know that they need the boundaries because it's not in the program. Yeah. And I find and so one one um, opportunity might be you know for, for for the parents themselves to to ask more so for 
for experiences rather than material goods. If, you know, if for instance, a family has decided that they're happy with what they're having, that they don't need any more things. Um, you know, I personally started doing this a few years ago and I absolutely love it. I love now my family and friends, they know that if they want to give me a present, if they give me an experience, then they're already on the safe side because that's what I enjoy the most and it doesn't result in me accumulating more things that I may not need. Um, obviously for, for children that might be different um, because when I think back to being a kid, something material, a new, a new toy was very, very exciting. But, you know, just focusing on, on adults or even even teenagers, um, giving the the gift of an experience, I think, can be can be incredible. Absolutely, I'm a I'm a huge fan of of experiences. It took my family a little while to adjust to my kind of minimalist philosophy, like yourself, um, because they always would give me little trinkets and thoughtful things, but it. It's hard to, to say to the people that you love that I, I don't want to receive gifts, but, but when you reframe it like you have and you say, actually, I would love to receive an experience instead, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's such a beautiful thing. And it's such a fun invitation because it gets them thinking um, a bit outside the box. Yes. And there are some really beautiful experiences Absolutely. to be had. Yes. And I find... There are more and more companies nowadays where, you know, you go on, on, onto their website and they have a collection of different experiences that you can, that you can give to your friends or romantic partners or family members. And they even have different categories. So you can really decide if it's something that's more adventurous, something that's more romance um, focused or something for a, for a foodie, someone who really enjoys food or drinking wine or whatever it is so it's certainly I would say it's certainly easier than than it used to be to give an experience rather than a, than a material thing yeah I'd love to find out that it's a website yeah there are a it's few like websites and I, I remember um, in in Germany there was a website uh, there are actually two major companies that very much focus on that and it's literally anything from from as wild as spending an afternoon driving a tank <laughs> to skydiving, bungee jumping, a romantic dinner, a spa day somewhere. So um, fun. A hike through the, uh, through the Swiss Alps, you know, you name it, it they have it. And, and I'm sure that those, those kind of offerings are now definitely becoming more and more available plus if if they don't exist in in someone's location then get creative right i mean that's mm -hmm. that's probably the the funnest part about it don't even have someone think of an idea for you but do it yourself and then see if you can you can even plan something for someone absolutely yeah i think like at the bottom of it all like what a lot of or everyone really values is connection. Yeah. And so to share, even to share that experience with someone that you love is something that you will remember forever. Yeah. Beyond a material thing, which is so magic. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, since you're mentioning that human connection, um, last time we spoke, you mentioned how with certain items, we don't have to own everything. And you were mentioning the, the fondue set as an example. And, you know, it's not necessary that every single household owns a fondue set, for instance. You know, it's much easier if, let's say, you don't have it. So when you need it for a party, you go to your, to your neighbor and ask for theirs. And what I loved about that when you said it was it invites you to to strengthen that that human connection mm -hmm. you know th there is nothing it's almost like borrowing has become outdated when i'm i'm wondering why because it is such an 
it's a, it's such a beautiful opportunity to reconnect with people that uh, you may not have spoken to in a little while. Yeah, I wonder if there has just been a bit too much fear around talking to strangers or to stepping outside your bubble. Yeah, and just that like safety aspect. Mm -hmm. But there is you know, there is something really special about um, being resourceful and yeah, taking advantage of your environment and the people around you because yeah, it does really. It's an interesting one with things like the fondue set that mm -hmm. sit in the cupboard because they really only are useful during those special parties, which happen. I, maybe some people have them more often, but they're not that often. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think they are very often, no. <laughs> but it, you'd be surprised how many clients or people I've met who have them sitting in this like back of their cupboard because they know that they're useful and they are. But the thing is, is when they sit there untouched, they almost speak to you and they keep nagging. Like, why aren't you using me? Why am I just sitting here? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's almost like an energy, like a stale energy yeah. that kind of is not serving. Yeah. I think there is a bit of a cleansing, like, beyond just the physical shelves around you but inside yourself to feel more secure and find more joy that energy like we don't see it but it's here yeah absolutely it's in all our spaces and i really do believe that those things that are unloved or unwanted or unused do speak volumes and it's something to really be mindful about because I'm sure you're in a similar place where like you just feel so much joy when the larger percentage of your things are your favorites mm -hmm. and they're so useful and they're not hidden around by all this other stuff or yeah. kind of lost in it. Mm -hmm. I find it's much easier for me to reach for gratitude and reach for joy and to just feel it because everywhere I look is something I absolutely love and it's beautiful. And I do remember a client once said to me, <laughs> she, she was very funny. Um, we, she had been living in the same place for 10 years and never done any kind of work in regards to reducing or creating systems. Um, it was just her. She lived like simply, but it was definitely very disorganized and cluttered. And she admitted it wasn't working for her anymore. And after we were finished, a couple funny things happened. First, she told me that in her cell phone, my name was Emily Magic Home. <laughs> and then I popped by a few weeks later to drop something off. And she was telling me the sweetest thing. She said, She's like, you know, now I just walk around my house smiling. And I thought, that is so special. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can see it in her face that she's just brought so much joy into her life because we got rid of all this, the clutter. Mm -hmm. And what's left behind are all these really special things. And she's just like, just so happy, just smiling. And that really resonated because I felt the same way when I made the shift. It's almost like, like you just choose this like amazing environment yeah. that really lights you up and it's a choice. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's in a way it's, um, if we think ourselves as, as a container of energy and we have the choice to create these energetic bonds with with different items if we own a large quantity of items then our energy is very thinly spread across all of that but if we then reduce it and we really just have the the essential pieces that we that we want to keep because we cherish them we will notice that we'll be able to cherish them even more because now we have this energy that is no longer thinly spread across let's say a hundred different items, but it's now actually 
just 20 or 30 items. And every time we pick up one of those, we can literally feel how, how much we cherish it. And as soon as we pick something up or as soon as we look at one of those items that we cherish, we feel this immediate sense of gratitude and appreciation. And, um, and that's, that's certainly something that I, I absolutely love about, for instance, the clothing that I own. I don't own very much. Um, that's intentional. So I've made sure that everything that I do own, I absolutely love to wear. You know, there is nothing in my closet that I don't like to wear. So every time, every morning I pick something out, I already know that I'm going to be enjoying wearing whatever I chose because there is nothing that I don't like. And it's, it's just so amazing because otherwise, um, I think when you have a lot of stuff in your closet and some of the stuff you don't even really want to wear, you've just been lazy and don't want to get rid of it yet, then it can create this um, selection paralysis where you almost have too much choice. Uh -huh. It's beautiful to, it's funny how you speak of that as if it's, it really is a boundary. And it's, it's a funny thing because it sounds so simple and so obvious that why would you have things in your home that you don't love, or your closet that you don't love to wear. Mm -hmm. But it's also true, like you said, that it really simplifies decision fatigue because decision fatigue is very real. We yeah. can only compute an X number of decisions in a day and then we're done. Yeah. You know? And so it's really, really nice to simplify even the quickest, smallest decisions in your day. Absolutely. Now, because we've been talking about so much, you know, the benefits of it, what would you say are two of your, your favorite things that you always like to share with people? Um, because, you know, there, there, there's certainly people listening out there who, who might be aware that, okay, I want to change something. I might have too much stuff. Where do I begin? What are two things that everyone can, um, incorporate in their daily lives to, to make that transition? Absolutely. Yeah. Like it, the idea of re reducing or deciding what to reduce can feel overwhelming and emotional and can bring up a lot. And so I always like to take um, the easy possible route um, with almost any system that I apply with my clients. It's, it's how can we make this easy? And so my favorite is the outbox. And the outbox is very significant in that it represents it, it represents a space. It's literally a space that holds things that you can, in the moment, decide that it's not serving you. And it's something that needs to be returned or sold or donated or given back to a friend. And this space is so important to have and to make it big enough, minus the size of maybe, you could probably fit four shoe boxes in mine. Um, and I keep it in a place that's easy to reach and I make sure it's a beautiful box, not something like a plastic bag or, and it's, it's so wonderful to, to see something in your space and to, to notice it. And to, in that moment, you kind of intuitively know if it's serving you or not, and then to just drop it in the box without thinking, thinking it over mm -hmm. and like when we were chatting before, we were chatting about this kind of buffer zone. Yeah. Which is another really important thing to have compassion around is that it is really hard to let go. And so when you create this buffer zone, you let the box fill up. And when it becomes full, then you intentionally sit down and you empty it and you look at the items and you acknowledge that you didn't miss it. You didn't look for it. You didn't really want it back in. And maybe there was something that you did. And so you, you, you set the destination right then and there and you bag up the donations. You take photographs of what you're selling 
and you make sure that you've set this time aside and that you're mindful with mm-hmm. it because it's not going to serve you if things creep back in, which is very common. And I will say so many people, um, will do something like this, like kind of go through their stuff. Everybody can do it, but what they do is they bag it up and put it in their trunk and then they leave it in their trunk for weeks and you know until the day that they need their trunk and then they go and do it and i find that to each their own but i think it's really nice to complete something and so i think it's helpful to set aside enough time to actually go and drive and make the donations so almost like a like a celebration yes yeah i I, because i I, because i really like the what you were saying you know Make sure that the box that you're using, it's a beautiful box. So, you know, that it's not implying that, oh, this is, it's being discarded as such. It's, there, there's this, for, for me, it sounds like there's this um, celebratory aspect to it. And there, there's, there's a positive aspect to it rather than just, you know, usually when you want to make a clear cut with something it might be because you consider it to be negative. But I think the way you have it designed, it, there's, so much, there's so much beauty with that and allowing the person to go through this transition period with this item that is being phased out quite literally. Yeah, I never really considered it as a ceremony, but it really is because I really, I really do value that the box is beautiful because Mm -hmm. yeah it's not just a dumping ground it's saying it's saying a couple things it's saying i have the awareness and the willingness to say this is my limit this or this is not serving me to to celebrate that and then also to celebrate that you can identify or connect with these other things more clearly and and those are the things that you love and it's kind of setting setting the bar high, which is a really beautiful thing too. Yeah. With your relationship with your stuff. Mm-hmm. It's you're, you're honoring that that you're slowly phasing out, but at the same time you're also honoring yourself because you know we are human. We we have these attachments, and then as you were saying earlier, we have to have compassion with ourselves to not necessarily necessarily just rip it out of our lives but just allow it the this grace period absolutely yeah i think that's very very beautiful yeah i think so too and i think it helps to have um a to-do box as well to not mix these together but a to-do box is not something that you're getting rid of but it's something that requires an action mm-hmm. and often we leave these things around because we don't create space for them, but it's things that need to be given to a friend or, or, or back to school or they kind of require you to do something. And I guess that also could be considered selling items, but it's nice to just have a space, like to hold space. And that's why I always call baskets and boxes the unstuff because a lot of my clients are like ready to shed and they're ready to like let go. And I explain my program and I say that there's a good chance we'll be acquiring boxes or containers or bins and they're like, I don't want more stuff. And I have to remind them that this is like the unstuff. Like they are physical items, but what they do is they corral and they create space for these floating things that have no home. Mm-hmm. And it just, it creates that quick and easy like flow state where there's no interruption or I don't know, it just goes, which I think is so important because that's when things can go awry. Yeah. But everyone has their different degree of, of order. I totally believe in that. Yeah. But the second thing on top of the out box and to do box, I really want to teach my clients that they have the power to set boundaries. And I can't remember if it was this conversation or last, but just that concept of 
acknowledging our bandwidth, acknowledging our limit and saying, and acknowledging our physical square footage and our physical closets and saying, okay, this is, this is my max. And then especially with children, not giving into this limitless mentality and saying, like when I talk to young children about tidying their room, they don't want, they don't like it. And I say, why don't you like it? And like, it's just, it's a lot of work. Like it's a, it's a big job. And I think it just feels overwhelming mm-hmm. and nobody coaches kids how to tidy their rooms. It's like this weird assumption, like, Oh, go tidy your room. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so funny. But the idea of saying, okay, imagine this kid figures out with the help of a coach or a parent that two hampers is it that's it that's all they can tidy up before they burn out and before they're exhausted and so then that's the amount of toys that exist in their room and i would love it if kids could just like not even have order with it because kids are so fluid but just like toss everything in one bin like it really it's nice to have things separate and i i get the different smaller pieces but kind of nice to just let them just simplify it Mm -hmm. if you want things off the floor have two hampers that cannot be over full and allow the kid to to do it really fast and easy because they don't want to be doing it they want to be outside and i think it's so important to when getting it down to that quantity with the child especially is to say have these empty hampers and to say these this is your this is your limit so let's choose like not focusing on the loss i like to like invert the perspective and say what are you going to gain like what are your favorites like let's go shopping so imagine like all their toys all over the floor and these two empty hampers and you say okay what what would you what are your favorites what do you want to stay first and this could be a great practice just with stuffed animals because i know a lot of parents voice the uh, stuffed animal hoarding that goes on <laughs> but it's it's allowing the kid to, to choose their favorites first and then be present and mindful with what's left on the floor mm-hmm. and say look these are not your favorites. Like, how would you feel? And to like lean into this giving energy with the child. How would you feel if we donated these toys to a family in need, a family who can't afford toys? Kids love that stuff because kids are their essence and that's within our essence to give. And it makes us feel good. So, that's a piece that I am applying in my program. And I think it's, it's so beautiful. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. I think, I think that is an amazing takeaway from, from this entire conversation, you know, to, and not, not only for, for kids, but for adults, just the same that we should focus on the positive. Yes, it is a process of letting go of a lot of things, but when we focus on it, on the fact that there is a lot of gaining, you know, we, we're gaining a lot from this in a, in a non-material way, I think that can really facilitate the process and make it a lot easier for people. Yeah, and always going back to that, like gaining peace, yeah. gaining more free time, like and like gaining more freedom from tidying yes from always feeling like you're kind of behind mm-hmm. and yeah and gaining a- regaining that energy that may have been lost because the more we accumulate the more energy is being placed onto everything that we own there is this energetic bond as i was saying earlier that is being created and we're not even necessarily aware of it and that in itself can you know it can often lead to so many other um, health conditions just because we we are we're losing all of this vital energy 
And I also find that as soon as we start to to purge and let go of, of items that no longer serve us, if we then allow ourselves to pause and, and really just sit with, with the feeling, you know, the feeling of joy that actually comes with letting go of things. And then next time we are, we are um, approaching another purge in our home and we remember this, this joy that we felt after and this freedom that we felt after um, getting rid of some non-essential items, I think that can become a, a motivator in itself to to continue with the process of, of letting go. Yeah, and as you said before, it kind of becomes addicting. Yeah. Because you're almost quicker to identify when it's like you can really know if something is your favorite or not. Mm-hmm. Like there's no wait, where, wave, wait, wavery, waving. <laughs> um, it's just, it's so clear that at least in the moment, you know, and that I think is important. A lot of people struggle with this. What if, and maybe one day, and that's a tough one. Cause I get it. Like with clothing that doesn't fit or tools that are useful. And so that's like a whole other ball game, but yeah. it does help to be present. And yeah, it feels really nice to know. And the best part I often tell people is I've gotten rid of a lot. I'm not like so rigid, but I don't miss anything. Mm-hmm. I don't look back and like regret. Like there, I, there may have been like two occasions in the last five years that it's like, where is that, that thing? But I, I don't, I don't really get over like, thought about it I guess and it just it dissipates and I and if I did get rid of something that I did need in the future I would borrow or or find it in another way Mm -hmm. and yeah it's it's something that a lot of people fear I think is that they might need it one day or they'll miss it and a huge one is the memorabilia and the sentimental items is people often clients often will fear that they will lose the memory that's attached to the item and it's not the case our brains are really magic and they hold on to memories and having a healthy body and mind actually keeps them alive even stronger yeah and so it's really refreshing to know that if when you get rid of something that the person or the memory or the story does not leave with it. And that can be explained when working with people who are widowed or have lost someone in their life. I think it's a really emotional but really powerful ceremony of releasing old papers and letters and cards that had a beautiful memory and had a beautiful place, but it's almost like this stepping into yourself and saying, I'm here to show up for me and my new future and to let go of living in the past. Mm -hmm. I had a really amazing client who lost her husband five years prior and she was just starting her first like new relationship. And it was a really beautiful relationship and they were, they're now actually engaged. But this ceremony was, we took place with both of them and myself and it was super emotionally charged and, and very um, hard work. But you could really tell like she was ready to show up for herself and her, her life and her future. And she was ready to let go of just this, this like sadness and this story. And also just cherish her ex, her, her late husband, you know, and just to really show this like that there is peace and that he may rest in peace. Yeah. You know, it's pretty magic. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's beautiful. And it, I think it's a beautiful process when we come to realize that, you know, in regards to memories that those are energy and that energy we can choose to carry within us. They don't need to be carried in certain items that we surround ourselves with. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And there's a Absolutely. certain sense of freedom to it as well. Yes. And that we I have the that. choice, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the <laughs> one other thing that I wanted to mention that I have been practicing for years that I really, really enjoy is um, one item in, one old item out. Um, I do it particularly with, with clothing items. Um, and I think it still stems back uh, to the time when I was living out of suitcase because, you know, you were mentioning earlier, we have physical limits and of course the suitcase has physical limits. So if I purchased something new, I, I knew right there and then that something old needed to go. And I still continue doing this um, now. And I, I think I'm going to continue with that for the rest of my life because that way you can avoid hoarding things and you can always um, keep your possessions um, at a at a quantity that that makes you still feel free and comfortable mm -hmm. absolutely it's a beautiful practice it's almost like a support structure in itself uh, which is very easy in itself and that's the beauty of it it's mm -hmm. not a big task it's it's a one thing at a time process but you're right it really sets you up for success it doesn't allow the limitless to pile up because there is a breaking point where it becomes too much to manage and a lot of people i have yet to acknowledge this because it's not taught i think but it really is there's a lot of freedom when you are able to spend less time doing laundry and less time caring for and thinking about and deciding about your clothing. Like you really do bring more peace and freedom and ease. Yeah. And free time. Absolutely. There's, there's so many wins. And it also must make your wardrobe extra special because you reach for high quality instead of quantity and items that are like favorites and so, so comfortable. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's almost like you, you can get to the point where everything that you own, and it doesn't even have to relate just to clothing, but everything that you own are items that you really, really cherish. And every time you pick something up or you wear something or you simply look at something, it brings you joy. Mm -hmm. And then, like you were saying earlier, you know, one of your clients said she now walks around her, her space with a smile, constant smile on her face. We can all achieve that if we choose to only surround ourselves with the things that we truly value. Yeah, our favorites. There is something to be said for Marie Kondo, who really coined the term spark joy. And you know, she was the first book I read in this realm. And yeah, it kind of always goes back to that. She's really on point that it's really lovely to live in a space where all the things spark joy. Like it literally, you can feel the energy in your body. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I think that's one of the reasons too I started this business is I really wish that upon people. I wish people more joy and more freedom and more free time and more ease. I think it can be overcomplicated sometimes mm -hmm. how we operate with our stuff. So yeah. sim simplifying it in any way possible. And ensuring that that spark is still there. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Okay. I think that's a beautiful way to finish up this very inspiring conversation. So Emily, thank you, thank you so much for sharing all of this, all of your wisdom. And um, I'm truly hoping that a lot of people will find it just as inspiring and, and hopefully use some of the, those, those pieces of advice. Absolutely. Because it applies to everyone, right? It's a possibility for everyone and on different spectrums. You yeah. know, I don't ever want to push like stark minimalism upon anyone. I think 
to each their own, but there is so much more room for joy and freedom and free time. Yeah. Beautiful. And, yeah. <laughs> this very this went by really fast. <laughs> I know it did. I, I couldn't believe it either. <laughs> but you know, it was such an enjoyable topic that it's worth talking about more than once. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Thank you so much for having me. This was a time of fun. Yeah, really absolutely. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening and be well from within.